The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, Summit Church, good morning. I'm so glad that you are here. We are really launching into a cool season running up to Easter Sunday, April the 21st. We've got a few weeks until we get there, but we've just finished a good long run through the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And, and I hope you've enjoyed seeing the Old Testament maybe brought to life and the beautiful story of how God's hand is actually weaving through all of Scripture. Genesis to Revelation. What we want to do for the next three weeks, okay, just the next three weeks, is we want to look at not the whole book of Psalms, but just a few of the Psalms and specifically the Psalms that were written by David. Now, once again, not all of them, okay, we're not going to get there, but here's the why. The book of Psalms and specifically some of the songs that David wrote, they are beautiful messages about the importance of worship personal worship, corporate worship. They're beautiful reminders to us about who God is and why we as his creation should worship him. And David being the one who was described as a man after God's own heart. If there's someone we should model after, that probably is him. And what I love is that in modeling after him, he was far from perfect. There were moments where he failed. There were moments where he triumphed. But in all of that, he worshiped. And that's what I want us as a church to step into. That's what I want to be about. We, we need to be a church that has freedom in our corporate worship. We, I want us to be a church full of people that personally desire the things of God and, and want to be worshiping him with their lives. And so maybe just these next three weeks would be an opportunity for us to examine some of that within our own life and the life of our church and also an opportunity to practice that a little bit. And I realize we are sitting here one week from the beginning of spring break. Many of you will be traveling. I understand that you may not be here for the next two Sundays and and that's okay because the information that we're going to share, the the Psalms that we're going to read, they're all online. They're available for you to open up wherever you are in the world. As long as you have the internet, you can come in and engage in our messages. And it would almost be better to be on a beach somewhere trying to engage and worship God. And so I hope you do that. I hope you take advantage of those opportunities over the next three weeks, because that's my prayer. It's my prayer that us as a church, we push into this with all that we are and just experience who God is and how amazing it is to worship him. And and David is a great example of that. He worshiped while on the run from his enemies. Anyone feel like they're running? Anyone feel like they, they are being pursued by something? They can't even identify what it is, but he worshiped in those moments. He worshiped when he had nothing and when he had plenty. That's unique. A lot of us, our, our worship is circumstantial. It's dependent upon how we feel or what we have in the bank account. At that moment, he worshiped when he was happy and when he was sad. That's, that's huge. We'll talk about that a little bit next week, uh, worshiping even in our sorrow. But David did that. He worshiped in victory and defeat. And the reason I think David was able to do this is because he knew that while his circumstances changed all the time, he worshiped an unchanging God. He worshiped a God that is the same today and tomorrow and the same that was yesterday. 
that's who our God is. And he knew that and he embraced that. And I think we can learn from that. David was a sinner and a saint. And if there's anyone in scripture that I resonate with, it's him. And so that's what I want to do for the next three weeks is just kind of look at what he can teach us, what God can teach us about worship. So how does he write like this in the book of Psalms? How is he able to say these things when he's hiding in a cave, worried about his life? Well, in Psalm 138 verses one through five, we see David in one of his better moments writing about his personal desire to worship God. And then also this beautiful image in verses four and five of how he universally sees all of creation having been designed to worship him. It's a great starting point. So let's go Psalm 138 verses one through five. David says, I will praise you Lord with all of my heart. Before the little G gods, I will sing your praises. They can listen, but I'm not worshiping them. I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, when I prayed, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me when I needed you to do so. May all the kings of the earth, may all those who think they are worthy of praise, may they praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed, what you have decided. May they sing of the ways of the Lord for the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is great. And while it doesn't say this, the glory of the Lord is worthy of praise. Who God is amongst all creation is worthy of praise, whether we see that or not. And David in this Psalm highlights why he believes God is worthy of praise for what he's decreed, for what he's done in David's life, for the way that he rescued him in a moment of need. We talked about that just last week about celebrating what God has done. David worshiped in season and out of season because of who God is and because of what God's done. And his circumstances, well, of course they mattered. They were not the driving force. God was. David understood something very, very, very important when it comes to worship. He understood one, who God is. The grandeur, the majesty of the creator and sustainer of the universe. He got that. But David also understood, number two, his position before that God. His position before God was not one to be doted on by God, but he was instead there to praise God for who he is. So much of my worship is circumstantial. Did God do today what I needed God to do? Do I feel like worshiping God today? What David gets and what I need to hear and what I believe many of us need to understand is that who God is in our position before him will greatly, greatly determine our desire to worship him regardless of the circumstance. 
There's a really cool passage in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and, and we'll get there in a moment to read some of the key verses, but it's this picture, it's a narrative of David and, and his worship because of his excitement for who God is. And in it, I love, love to glean from David some truths that I know I need for my life. David understood his position and his worship and experience were based on that. So here's the context for 2 Samuel chapter six. David is the king of Israel, the king of God's people. He's the second king. He's the better king than the first one, Saul. But what's happened is the Ark of the Covenant, remember that from the Indiana Jones movie, the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen and now has been reclaimed by the people of God, but they haven't gotten it back to the holy city of Jerusalem yet. So David is king in Jerusalem, but the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God isn't in Jerusalem. And David goes, this is wrong. I've got to get it back. At this point in the history, the Ark of the Covenant is resting in the home of a man named Abinadab. So David starts off his journey. He takes 30,000 men with him to go retrieve the Ark of the Covenant, a chest, four feet long, about four feet long, about three feet wide and about three feet high. It, there were two cherubim, golden angels on top of this chest. And in between those angels, it was said that there a cloud represented the presence of God. It was the dwelling point of the presence of God on this earth. And it's sitting in the home of a man. And David says, we got to bring it back. So he takes his entourage with him. He goes, he gets the Ark of the Covenant and they begin the journey. They get to the Kindred Valley. They're about six kilometers from Jerusalem. And a man named Uzzah is standing beside the Ark of the Covenant, which they're rolling up the road. And the oxen that was carrying the Ark of the Covenant stumbles. And as it st sticks his hand out and touches the Ark of the Covenant, but you're not supposed to do that. And he drops dead. And David, rightly so, gets scared. He gets scared. And so he looks around and near the place is the home of Obed-Edom. I don't know the relationship between Obed and David, but they knew him well enough. And he said, I'm putting the ark in your home. I'm not taking it to Jerusalem. I'm not, I'm not taking something with this much power to my home. And you, you keep it for a while. It stayed there for three months. And all scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter six is that the family of Obed were blessed richly during this three month period. Go figure. Their home was indwelled by the manifest presence of God. Yeah, that probably would be a blessed home. And so the story gets back to David that Obed's not cursed, he's not dead. He's really, really, really doing well. So David decides to bring the ark, the final six kilometers back into Jerusalem. He takes the same 30,000 men and they go and they get it. And it says that every six steps on this journey of praise to bring the presence of God to the city of God in Jerusalem. They would stop and sacrifice a bull. Every six steps, there's six kilometers away. If a person steps roughly one meter per step, that means that a thousand bulls were sacrificed along the way because that's how you worshiped God with your sacrifice and your praise. Can you picture this in your mind? 
tens of thousands of people, the number swelling with every step, the procession going very slow, because I don't know what it takes to sacrifice a bull, but they're big animals. Who's the dude in charge of the thousand bulls? What's that cattle drive look like? But every six steps, another bull to tell God how good he is and they get a little bit closer and a little bit closer and David's getting more and more excited because he can see his palace. He can see Jerusalem and he knows it's been too long since this. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God has been in the holy city. He's elated. He can't wait. And as he pulls in, we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 20 and 22. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, who was the daughter of Saul, that was the first king, came out to meet him and said, Oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today by disrobing in the sight of the slave girls and his servants as any normal, vulgar fellow would do. Pausing there, she's obviously not impressed. David, in his excitement, had allowed himself to be exposed. I don't think he's vulgar. I think he loved God and was so caught up in the moment. Not his own spectacle, but the spectacle of who God is. He embarrassed himself. But as we'll see, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what this jaded daughter of the former king thinks. It was his God. And there's nothing that he wouldn't do to express his praise. Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. Oops or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will worship the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. He knew that what he'd done is embarrassing. But he said, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again because God is God and I'm going to continue to worship him and I'm going to do so in an even more undignified manner. And I'm not going to apologize to you because I worship for an audience of one. I worship God. And yeah, today was a little wild, but it was for a great reason. And I just want to ask us, church, how do we begin to worship like that, not exposing ourselves, but with freedom and with an abandon that says, yeah, maybe I don't sound the best. Yeah, maybe I'm not doing what everyone else beside me is doing, but I'm worshiping God and I'm not gonna apologize for it. How do we learn from David? How do we get there? Not that everything can be broken into steps, but I think there's four things that we need to know today. And this is where I want to land. There's four things that we need to hear that will help us have the freedom that David had. Number one, we need to realize that it was God who first became undignified in his love for us. 
It was God who first became undignified in his love for us. God sent his son from his perfect place in heaven to take on imperfect flesh so that he might become for us the righteousness and salvation that we could never have. He became nothing so that we might become everything. What in the world would we not give to that God? What would we not be willing to do for that God who gave up everything, all of his dignity to be born in a manger to a peasant couple to fulfill the scriptures and ultimately save the world from their sins? Did David fully understand the gospel message? Probably not. But he knew who God was and what God had done for him. And we now on the other side of the cross have an even better picture of this. And that's where our worship begins. Our worship doesn't start with the action. It starts with the heart. And it starts with the knowledge of who God is and what he's done. And let me tell you, church, what he's done is quite undignified in his love for you. So would you allow your love for him to be slightly undignified or is your dignity too important? It wasn't for God. And thank you, Jesus, for that truth. The second thing, we need to realize that our soul rejoices in the fact that God chose us. We rejoice today. We rejoice in worship because God said, I love you. I choose you. Despite the fact that you are far, far, far from perfect. In fact, you are chosen because of your need for a savior. So many people get messed up in their minds because they're like, I, I'm not good enough for God. I'm not, I can't do this. He doesn't want my worship. He doesn't want my praise. He doesn't want my adoration. No, 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 he, he does. He chose you despite your sin and your shame. He wants you just the way you are to bring as a broken vessel all that you can before him. And the fact that you have any knowledge of who God is shows that he chose you and that he loves you. And because of that, you worship him. Number three, we need to let our soul's desire to worship God overcome our current circumstances. I already share with you, I'm so oftentimes limited in my worship because of what I have going on around me. David had no clue what was going on around him. There was an audience of one, God, and he couldn't contain himself. Our circumstances dictate so much in church that cannot be because there's going to be seasons where we don't feel like worshiping. There's going to be circumstances that crush us to our soul. And yet even in our sorrow, we can still worship. 
And lastly, number four, we need to become unconcerned with our own dignity and become more undignified in our response to the love of God. What are you talking about, Todd? You want us to get more wild in here? Is that what you mean? And then he just starts screaming around and running and doing whatnot. I don't need you to do that. But I want you to know you have the freedom to do so if it's for God. If it's for God, then I want you to have the freedom to do whatever you feel like, whatever your soul desires to do to show God how much you love him because of how much he loves you. That's the whole point. Like we don't have this doctrinal statement of what worship should look like. If you can overtly display how good God is with your arms folded and a scowl on your face, then do it. But that's hard for me to believe. But if that's what it is, then do that. If it's sitting silently, if it's jumping up and down, if it's screaming, if it's whispering, I don't care. As long as it's for God. We won't tell you how to worship. Because the whole idea of this series is that God desires for you and for me to simply bring your heart before him. And it's good seasons and bad and it's broken nature and it's restored nature. Whatever it is, your heart being brought before the Lord and how that manifests itself, we really don't care. But can I tell you this? Some of those things I need you to become unconcerned by is your image, how you look. I'll turn all lights off in here right now. I'll make it pitch black. If it will stop you from worrying about what the person next to you is going to think. What you look like doesn't matter. Your inabilities, I can't really sing those songs. They're not in my, in my octave range or my pitch. I don't know what the word is, but they're not there. Um, God does not care. Well, Todd, you don't have to sing to, to praise God. You're right. Let your heart sing. Romans says you can moan. That'd be weird. You can do it. Don't be trapped by these screens and and by the words that are on them. You're here to express to God how good he is. Don't worry about your own inabilities, your own fears. I I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know what that's going to do. I don't know how that's going to make me feel. Stop worrying. Stop thinking. Stop being so concerned. Do you know what limits the majority of us? Our traditions. What we have become hardwired to do when we walk into a space. I didn't start going to church till I was 14. So I walked into a very well-established tradition. And the tradition was this. When someone started to play a song, you made sure you put your hands in your pockets and didn't say a word. If they told you to turn the hymnal to a certain page, you tried to find it before the song was to the second verse. That's how I was hardwired to worship. And I can't tell you 
the raw emotion I felt the first time I looked over at a conference at one of my friends who had grown up in that church his whole life, who knew, knew the tradition, knew how you were supposed to do. I look over and he's got one hand up in the air. And I said, you are breaking the law. You can't do that. Until then I tried it and realized that there is so much more freedom in worship than our tradition allowed for. We got a lot of traditions coming together in this hodgepodge. Can I just tell you that you are not governed by any of them? You are not held accountable to any of your traditions. There's a freedom here to worship God because of who he is. And finally, our shortcomings before God. A lot of times that hinders us. Uh, I, I haven't talked to him in months. I'm sinful, I'm shameful. If that's you, then, then we have a prayer team up here that would love to talk to you about your shortcomings and let you know that there's grace, let you know that there's hope. I don't know who God is. Then would you respond today to the fact that God loved you enough to send his son to this earth to die for you? Would you engage in that conversation and come talk to one of our pastors or prayer team just to allow us to engage you in that conversation because your shortcomings do not matter to God. He came to free you and restore you from all of them. Church, I'm gonna pray. We are going to stand and we're going to respond. Most of the time, I want you to stand and respond to the word of God that was just proclaimed. Today, the word of God was proclaimed so that you would know you are free to do whatever it is that your heart desires to bring before the Lord. No rules, no right, Outback Steakhouse, I don't know. But you do what you're going to do because of who God is, and because of what he's done for you. Let this time be a time of corporate worship and response to God. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I ask now that your presence would fill this place. Your Holy Spirit would come in and dwell all of us. And that because of who you are and what you've done, we would freely respond to you, to you, Jesus, with our words, with our worship, with our bodies, but most importantly, Jesus, with our hearts. We bring to you our hearts, Lord. And it's in your name we pray, amen.